Merry second week of Christmas. I can still say Merry Christmas for another couple of days. We're here in, in the Christmas season, um, but outside of the Christmas octave now, that ended with uh, January 1st and the feast day for the Blessed Mother. Now we're heading into the final days of Christmas, uh, concluding with the feast days of the Epiphany, uh, and then the final day of the Christmas season with the feast day of the baptism of our Lord on January 8th. Really what we're seeing here is a departure from the celebration of the Holy Family around the birth of Jesus. And instead, we see the readings taking us to the, uh, to, to the beginnings of Jesus's ministry, which we'll be seeing in the first week of ordinary time. Now, who provides us that, that paving, that path to, uh, to the ministry of Jesus? Well, it's John the Baptist. We're seeing him come back, coming back strong this week. Almost every day this week uh, is about John the Baptist. Um, of course, we, we saw him during Advent when he was saying, Jesus is coming. Well, now this week, he's there with Jesus, and he's pointing to Jesus saying, this is the Lamb of God. This is the person upon who I've, se- I've seen the Holy Spirit descend. And he's actually even going so far as to say to some of the people that had been following him, people like Andrew, you should go follow Jesus. Now, what was the basis for John's ministry? Certainly there was the baptism, but what was he really doing? He was an educator. He was one who was going out to say, these are the truths of of the Lord. But even more importantly, he was one going out saying that others are speaking non-truths. And that's where we also see a continuation of St. John the Apostle. So we've got the two Johns coming together, both of them saying, you need to be able to discern between the good teacher and the bad teacher. When John the Baptist introduces Jesus to, uh, to Andrew and the, uh, his other followers, he introduces him as a rabbi, as a teacher. One that certainly he, he felt he was not um, sufficient to even loosen his sandal strap, but nonetheless a teacher. And in the case of St. John, you're going to see throughout the week how he basically provides us a, a set of standards, a litmus test, you know, a, a, and a, a framework so you could look at anyone through this lens and say, are they teaching something that's righteous or not? Can I look at their behaviors and what they're saying and determine that they are um, speaking the truth of the Lord or are they simply uh, working to their own self-interest or their own dogma. And so we pair these, these messages from the Johns about being able to discern the, the right education with a set of people who dedicated their lives to educating people in the faith. There are three feast days for saints this week, starting off with two of the saints, St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory Nazianzen, who were really the ones that that built out the theology of the Trinity around the Council of Nice, the First Council of Nicaea, in the early three hundreds A.D. 
And they they really placed as their purpose in life proliferating um, what was an extremely large volume of theological writings, both their own and distribution of the writings of Origen, who was uh, an early theologian in uh, in the church. So you've got them setting this this groundwork for how to teach people, and then we wrap up the week with two other feast days for saints. One with uh, Saint Elizabeth Ann Seton, and the other with Saint John Newman, both of whom dedicated their lives to. Uh, formal education, to building out educational uh, constructs, uh, either through a diocesan school system um, or through uh, pl- planting the seeds of education uh, through their ministries. Um, so as we look at it this week, what you're going to see is that emphasis on pursuit of knowledge, pursuit of an understanding of the faith, and an understanding of how Revelation contributes to education. And I would challenge people as you as you listen, think towards whether or not you could provide that revelation to others through your own knowledge and your own search for truth and your own life, lifelong uh, pursuit of education. Monday, January 1st, 2024, the Solemnity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, the octave day of Christmas. A reading from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them, this is how you shall bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. So shall they invoke my name upon the Israelites, and I will bless them. The word of the Lord. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Galatians. Brothers and sisters, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to ransom those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. As proof that you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir, through God. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. The shepherds went in haste to Bethlehem and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known the message that had been told them about this child. All who heard it were amazed by what had been told to them by the shepherds. And Mary kept all these things reflecting on them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. When eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. The Memorial of Saints Basil the Great and Gregory Nazianzen, bishops and doctors of the church. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, who is the liar? Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever denies the Father and the Son, this is the Antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. Let what you heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made us, eternal life. I write you these things about those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you, so that you do not need anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and not false. Just as it taught you, remain in him. And now, children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be put to shame by him at his coming. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to John. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you so we can give an answer to those who sent us? What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. This happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Before we go on to Wednesday's readings, I wanted to stop briefly to talk a bit about the memorial of St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory Nazianzen, because I think it's important to have that context when looking at the readings that the church has put in front of us today. So Basil the Great, Gregory Nazianzen, and Gregory of, Nice- of Nyssa were uh, considered the quote-unquote Cappadocian fathers of the Trinity. And these three were big-time theologians. Um, they, in particular, were, were emphasizing the nature of the Trinity. Um, they effectively were the ones that established the idea that there was one God in three what are considered hypostases. Um, and what, what's meant by that is basically three forms. Um, the importance of this is this is coming at a time when the church was really establishing what truth was. 
in 325 AD, roughly and you know, contemporary with, with these three scholars, Emperor Constantine held the Council of Nicaea in which uh, we see the emergence of the Nicene Creed and basically the establishment of the belief system of, of Christians uh, by and large thereafter. The reason that they needed to hold that Council of Nicaea, though, is because there were all sorts of different beliefs and, and people providing different interpretations of truth. And the early church fathers, including the likes of St. Basil, um, were emphatic that we needed to establish a single foundational understanding of truth. And it basically provides the foundations, the post-biblical foundations of the magisterium, which is to say the, uh, the, the sense that there needs to be a single cornerstone of truth. Now, among those um, deating belief systems at the time was one that was established by a guy named Arius and became known as the Arian heresy. What Arius was saying was that uh, there was God, God then begot Jesus and Jesus then begot the Holy Spirit. And it was very hierarchical that there were three very distinct individuals um, and that there wasn't this this three-in-one uh, approach. So Basil and Gregory, and the other Gregory as well, begin to go out and, and make sure that they're, they're teaching, they're drafting tremendous amount of theological materials, including capturing all the works of Origen, who was an early theologian in the 100s, um, to, to ensure that the foundations from the beginning had been set in, in firm stone. And now we look to the, to the readings. So St. Saint John in his first letter says something that I think can be interpreted in a rather confusing way. He says in chapter two, verse 27, that effectively you don't need to have anyone teaching you. Specifically, the, the uh, translation here says, as for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you so that you do not need anyone to teach you. So is he saying then there is no need for a magisterium? There is no need to look back to church fathers. We don't need to, to um, uh, look beyond our own prudence and discernment uh, to understand what the faith is, is you know, what, what the, the faithful foundation of truth really is. No. So if we look to the rest of the context of the first letter of St. John, as I said in prior weeks, this was a response to heresies that were already establishing uh, early, early after the death of Jesus, where people began um, permeating beliefs that were convenient or interesting to the individuals. And so St. John writes this letter after having written the gospel and says, listen, there are, there are too many false prophets. There are too many people that would lead us astray from what Christ has taught us. And that we need to look back to the foundation, to the beginnings. And to ensure that any of the teachings that come forward are consistent with that. So what he actually does, in fact, is to say, Use the, the affirmation that we have up to this point 
on what truth is to then serve as a as a pressure test, as a litmus test for uh, recognizing whether we have um, truth coming from future teachings or if they're falsehoods. It's a way of, of discerning, is this a heresy or is this foundational? And in many ways, what he's doing is actually establishing the importance of having an educated group of people who are able to uh, determine right from false. Um, and, and so he, he provides a foundation for the likes of Basel, of a Gregory Nazianzen, and others thereafter. We get one other warning from the, the readings today, and that's from John the Baptist, who is emphatic, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet. And basically what he's saying thereafter is you need to be looking for the one that is to come and avoid falling into the trap of seeking out false prophets or false um, or or people that are going to be duplicitous and take the, the faith on for their own benefit. So these guys really set the stage for the themes this week around revelation and education that it's insufficient to blindly uh, put faith in someone who conveniently is there at the time that that you're in, in the mode to learn, but instead that you need to be able to discern and use prudence to, to recognize you know, whether what's being taught is, is truly consistent with the foundation of the faith over what had at that point in time already been thousands of years. Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. A reading from the first letter of St. John. If you consider that God is righteous, you also know that everyone who acts in righteousness is begotten by him. See what love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God. Yet so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope based on him makes himself pure, as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin commits lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or known him. The word of the Lord. A reading from the gospel according to John. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, a man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further saying, I saw the spirit come down like a dove from the sky and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified 
that he is the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thursday, January 4th, 2024. The Memorial of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Children, let no one deceive you. The person who acts in righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Whoever sins belongs to the devil, because the devil has sinned from the beginning. Indeed, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is begotten by God commits sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he is begotten by God. In this way, the children of God and the children of the devil are made plain. No one who fails to act in righteousness belongs to God, nor anyone who does not love his brother. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who had heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I wanted to stop once again and point to uh, maybe a little bit of the context around St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and why we revere her and honor her on this particular day. See, Elizabeth Ann was born in New York um, and married at a very young age to a very wealthy individual. Um, She and her husband traveled uh, to Europe, and while in Italy, he passed away, leaving her as a very young widow. Rather than seeking out solace um, in new relationships, she found her solace and her source of meaning in a commitment to the church thereafter, and ultimately moved back to the United States, to Maryland, uh, where she established the first religious community for women in the United States in the 1800s. Her her main purpose when she was uh, in the U.S. was really in reaching out to the poor. It was finding ways to serve others. But in that, she also planted the seeds for for Catholic Catholic education, for using um, the... uh, the service to others as a means for conveying this uh, set of teachings that had come to change her life so significantly. And so now we look at the readings and specifically at the first letter of St. John, where 
St. John continues to really pound the table on the need to discern heretical teachings from foundational teachings. And he says, basically, there's no shade of gray here, that the teachings from a righteous man um, are going to be very obvious because they are uh, um, delivering the message that, you know, honors God, honors Jesus, acknowledges them, but also that their deeds fall in line with what their teachings are suggesting. That once again, and he says this over and over again in that first letter, that if someone is behaving in a sinful way, then they aren't of God. And that their acknowledgement of God is only as earnest as their behaviors demonstrate. So, uh, so we can then look to, to Elizabeth Ann Seton and see this level of service, this emphasis, this true faith, this acknowledgement that God was at the center of her life. And people were willing then to listen to what she said from an educational perspective, to start, you know, acknowledging and following um, what she was doing in building out this new community, this new, uh, new environment um, for religious thought in the United States. Now it's, it's interesting once again, though, to call back to the gospel this week, because we've been seeing a lot of John the Baptist again and of his, uh, his making the way for Christ. And here we see the two of them interacting where John the Baptist says, here's Jesus and tells a couple of his disciples, you should follow him. Andrew being among those. And Andrew goes out and finds St. Peter. And it begins very much this, this approach of following the teacher, following the rabbi, learning from what he has to show, and then spreading that teaching, spreading that understanding of the world through word of mouth and through personal attestation, testimony, um, and education. So we're seeing these, these themes continue weaving throughout of having a trusted mentor and teacher that can help us to uh, learn really the foundation of truth. But as St. John says over and over again, the, the real challenging part, the real critical part, and yet the part that's clearly black and white is understanding and discerning who is the right teacher to be following, who is the person that is remaining most true and acknowledging and attesting to God's will and not simply using his name to further their own agendas. Friday, January 5th, 2024. The Memorial of St. John Newman. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who belonged to the evil one and slaughtered his brother, why did he slaughter him? Because his works were evil, and those of his brother righteous. Do not be amazed then, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life remaining in him. The way we come to know love was that he laid down his life for us. So we might, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 
If someone who has worldly means sees a brother in need and refuses him compassion, how can the love of God remain in him? Children, let us love not in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Now this is how we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn. For God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God. The Word of the Lord. A reading from the Gospel according to John. Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law, and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Here is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And he said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see the sky opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So St. John Newman, the focus of the memorial today, is really appropriate to be kind of heading into the conclusion of this week with. And as with some of these others, I think it's important to give a little bit of context. St. John Newman was a, a German immigrant from the Bohemian region. And uh, he came to the United States back in the 1850s. He actually became the fourth bishop of Philadelphia in 1852. And his legacy as a bishop was actually to establish the first diocesan school system in the United States. So we see this, this journey among the saints that we've honored this week from St. Basil and St. Gregory Nazianzen, who really were providing those early theological teachings, bringing together communities to study on the foundational theology and emphasizing the import, importance of educating people on proper teachings in the face of various heresies uh, and untruths. And then we went on to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, who uh, in, in her own ministry in the United States, when she moved back to, to Maryland, um, really emphasized these, these seeds of education and building out this informal community of, of, educate, of educators and, uh, and this educational uh, basis. And now we end up with St. John Newman, who actually says, you know what, we're going to establish a school in the United States. We're going to, to teach in this country where Catholicism wasn't the foundational part. Um, it, it wasn't like in Southern Europe where there was um, uh, governmental 
approval um, and subscription to the religion, but rather in a country that was was built around the Protestant Reformation ideas, um, where Puritan uh, um, uh, concepts and ethics were were really at the core in a lot of ways. And he says, "Listen, we, we've got to bring in this this uh, educational component um, to ensure that those who um, are in the Catholic faith would be in a position to follow it." Um, and and I think by doing by doing this in the course of this week, by bringing in these early educators, these doctors of the church, and um, people who have taken the teachings and um, and brought them out to the broader public, I think that we're really establishing the the next steps going into uh, the first week of ordinary time next week, where we really start seeing Jesus's teachings um, and the importance of firsthand education. Saturday, January 6th, 2024. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, who indeed is the victor over the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but by water and blood. The Spirit is the one who testifies, and the Spirit is truth. So there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are of one accord. If we accept human testimony, the testimony of God is surely greater. Now the testimony of God is this, that he has testified on behalf of his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar by not believing the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever possesses the son has life. Whoever does not possess the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. You who believe in the name of the son of God. The word of the Lord. A reading from the gospel according to Mark. This is what John the Baptist proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit. It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we're heading into the conclusion of the Christmas season this weekend with two important feast days. One is a celebration of the Epiphany uh, on Sunday, January 7th. And, uh, and of course, that's celebrating the visitation of the Magi to the, to the Christ child. 
And then the second major feast day, which is the actual conclusion of the Christmas season, is the baptism of our Lord uh, in the River Jordan with John the Baptist. And it's a great couple of celebrations to conclude this week on, or, or vice versa. It was a it was a good build up this week in terms of the themes of what it means to see truth and what it means to truly understand uh, our Lord as we head into those. Why do I say that? Well, in the case of the Magi, if we have those two themes, revelation and education, the revelation part is easy. Similar to the shepherds, they had a sign come to them. In their case, it was a star. In the case of the shepherds, of course, it was the angels. Um, and they travel to, the Magi travel to, to Israel and Judea to find the Christ child. Now, what's, I think sometimes as we look at our uh, manger scenes, we start thinking about these three kings, magi, wise men, whatever the identity may be of the these three, um, as being in isolation. Now, how realistic is that? Probably not very. Even today, if you have three important people traveling a long distance for a period of time, they're going to bring an entourage of some sort. And I expect that probably the same was true here. So in fact, you've got these three very important individuals from the East coming and with their various retainers and coterie of individuals that they bring along with them. They come and they find the Christ child. And then of course, as we hear uh, in the gospel, they then turn around and make sure not to stop by King Herod's on the way back and instead go home to the East to their respective uh, homes. And they would have gone with all of these additional people. Well, do you think that it was sort of like they were done with it then? They they go through all of these steps to go to this, have this transformational moment in Israel or Judea, and then they head home and pretend like it never happened. Probably not. These were people who were already excited about this transformational moment, about this thing that's coming, about this child that is going to change the world. And you can imagine they get home and this was probably one of the most earth shattering moments for them. They go home. They're probably telling a lot of other people. So if you fast forward 40 or 50 years to the period after the death of Christ, the apostles go out to the, to the four corners of the known world, sharing his teachings. Well, if you've got some place that was so dramatically different from a uh, cultural perspective as these magi may have come from, is that going to be a well-accepted message? Maybe, maybe not. But with them having traveled 40 or 50 years earlier, they've probably shared it with their children, all of these others that had this, this inspirational and transformational moment sharing with their children. And now you see that it, in a sense, probably greased the skids for um, for these apostles to go out on this mission to, to spread his teachings. So on the other hand, you've got John the Baptist, and it's almost inverse there, because John the Baptist was out teaching for years before Jesus sort of made his um, his presence known on the, on the big stage. And... Then John is baptizing Jesus in the waters of the Jordan. 
and sees the Holy Spirit come down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And he has that revelatory moment that that then leads him to telling people like Andrew, who is following him up to that point, you really need to go follow Jesus. And then, of course, Andrew brings his brother, Simon, to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, I'm going to, to rename you Cephas, Peter. Um, and later on, of course, we hear Jesus saying, and upon you, my rock, I'm going to build my church. And so, so John the Baptist is providing these teachings, is creating the inspiration. And upon seeing that revelatory moment, he, he tells his students, the person you should be following is this guy. And it's, it's that moment, I think, that really ties in with the rest of the week, uh, where we hear a lot from St. John the Apostle uh, about the importance of discerning good teachers and bad teachers or good teachings and bad teachings. And keeping in mind, in the context of the, the St. John's letter, that he is he's fighting against heresies that had begun emerging in uh, Jerusalem not long after Jesus' death. And saying, listen, you need to go back and look at the core teachings. You need to go and see what what Jesus said about loving their loving your neighbor, um, about ensuring that you're you're still resonating with um, the the teachings not only of Jesus but from Isaiah and from others. And by looking at those things, you can have the prudence and discernment to understand whether or not you know someone is teaching a a true message or is simply using. Uh, Jesus's name to advance their own philosophical uh, or material agendas. And he says, basically, this isn't a, a, an issue of, of shades of gray. This is black and white. Either you're following Jesus, following the Son, and through the Son, the Father, or you're following the devil, in, in effect. And here's how you need to recognize which it is, including by looking at those who are teaching and saying, are you righteous in terms of your deeds? Are you demonstrating that you are truly faithful? So from a from a, a readings perspective, we get this consistent message over and over again. And then of course we have you know a handful of saints uh, whose feast days were this past week and there were the saints that in a lot of ways uh, were most tied or very heavily tied to both, the development of the theology, as in the case of St. Basil the Great and St. Gregory Nazianzen, um, who were establishing and promulgating the doctrine of the Trinity um, and ensuring that the writings of Origen had gone out much, much further so that, um, that they, they were having a multiplier effect from a teaching perspective. And then you have St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and St. John Newman, who were taking those core teachings and establishing, you know, a no kidding education system around them. So it's a really elegant um, and, and uh, beautiful way that the church has basically said, take a minute to, to, to really ensure that you're educating yourself effectively. Now, Th this message of, of education and revelation 
is one that is is very poignant for me. Um, unlike many, I wasn't a cradle Catholic. Um, I was certainly raised Christian, but not with a, a lot of focus on what were the fundamentals of my belief. So later in my life, when I had a, a, a crisis of faith, I wanted to make sure that I truly understood and was educated in the theology and the philosophy and the history of the faith that I would be following. And I looked actually across any number of different denominations, as well as trying to understand the faiths of of people around the world, and eventually came back to the Catholic faith once again. And why was that? It was when I looked at the, the importance that the faith placed on education, and I don't mean education to indoctrinate someone in dogma, but rather education to tell people that they needed to seek seek truth and seek faith through their prudence and through an understanding of the magisterium. Basically to stand on the giants of those that had come before them and to judge whether or not the teachings of the church were in line through the, the thousands of years of um, theology that's been developed is that consistent with this core that St. John the Apostle points to in his, uh, in his epistle? And I found that the answer was yes, that you've challenged me to seek out my own truth, uh, and I find truth in that magisterium. And from there on, then it becomes a lifelong educational journey, um, not simply uh, you know, a journey of blind faith which I think it, for me is really has really been important. There's one last piece, though, that I wanted to tie into this, and, and that is that there's, there's the element of ritual that is so central within the faith. And many would say, you know, what's, what's the purpose of that there? And I would say, once again, it's, it's an educational uh, element. If you look to St. John's epistle, from Saturday, from today, there's an, there's an interesting series of comments. It says, this is the one who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but by water and blood. The spirit is the one who testifies and the spirit is truth. So there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are of one accord. So water, blood, and spirit. What do those things sound like? When I look at those immediately, my mind goes to the rites of indoctrination into the Catholic and Orthodox faiths. Baptism representing the water, the Holy Communion representing the blood, and confirmation representing the spirit. And that those three things together serve as that foundational core that St. John goes on to say are both in accord with one another and are foundational to you understanding whether someone is righteous in their deeds and in their teachings versus someone that is not. And so really what we have there is the prudence and the insight to be able to process the education that we're given and determine the value, validity, and truth that's coming from that.
So as we head into next week, we'll start seeing the teachings from Christ himself, the spreading of his word and his doctrine personally. And I think at this point in time, what we've been given in the course of this week is the opening of that door through the education among the saints as well as the education of those in the first century that prepared people to receive that direct teaching from our Lord as he went out in his ministries. Thanks be to God. Thank you.